This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Because it, the what we now know as UX, because we didn't call it UX 
until about the mid 2000s, about 2005 to 2007 or 2008. Uh, it was known as either information architecture. Most of us were called information architects. Many of us were called interaction designers. Many people were focusing on human computer interaction. And we're going to spend some time talking about that in, in the not too distant future, specifically because people need to understand when you look at HCI, I might as well throw it in here. When you look at HCI, a lot of HCI efforts, whether it's work or education, a lot of times, a lot of the things that we see in mainstream UX were not really part of HCI. For example, a lot of HCI programs and a lot of people who specialize in HCI are not very skilled when it comes to visual design. They simply don't have an eye. Knowledgeable people, sharp people, but when it comes to design grids and scannability and things that are just aesthetically pleasing, they don't really, they weren't trained to do that. And a lot of them don't have the experience and you can see it in their work a lot of times. They don't have what it takes to bring some value to the table when it comes to that aspect of what we know as UX today. So I want to make sure people understand that too. And, and here's the funny thing. A lot of people in the world of UX can't tell you that, don't know that, because we have a an analysis problem within UX as well. As I sort of put my, my little topic, first topic on hold for a moment here, a lot of people, people don't know how to evaluate talent the average person today in UX. They don't know how to evaluate talent. Uh, so the time comes to evaluate candidates, they really don't know what to do and they're spitballing. They don't know what questions to ask. I had an interview once and someone came into the interview and they said, you know, I really don't know what I'm supposed to do. I'm not ready. I don't know what to ask you. And I just shook my head. Here I am trying to talk to a company to decide whether or not I want to be employed. Because remember, when you're being interviewed, you're also interviewing that organization as well. And so when somebody comes to the interview and they represent the organization poorly like that, that is a reflection of the organization. That organization thought it was okay to send that individual to, to the interview so now you know something about that company. And, and I really, I was, I was appalled at that. And I ended up talking to the director of recruiting later on about that very thing. It was really, really sad to see that. Now, did that turn me off from being with the company? I had already made up my mind not to go with that company, but it surely did leave an impression. And whether people realize it or not, the brand is impacted by the way the impressions that people leave during the interview process. You may not hire somebody or you might hire somebody, whatever it is, that person walked away with a, a, a snapshot, an impression of the brand <laughs> that's based on how they were treated, how people presented the organization, how they presented themselves, the pride that they have, the professional pride. Where is it? Today, where in the world is the professional pride? And so it's really, it was really sad 
to have experienced that. And we're, we're going to talk about that. I'm going to have some, a few people on here in the not too distant future. And we're just going to talk about this whole job search fiasco that's going on in, in the world of UX today. But I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because then I won't get to what I want to cover. But it's we want to make sure make sure that you're interviewing the company. Don't be so eager to get a job that you're not scrutinizing. Don't be so eager talking to you out there that are looking for UX jobs. A lot of people are so eager to get a check, and I understand it. If you don't have a job and you're trying to make ends meet and things of that nature, even if you feel like you have to accept something, and sometimes people do, these things happen, you still need to gather that data because when you get on your feet, you're still going to need to analyze what they put before you. Don't 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 take your uh, uh, blinders. Put on blinders. Don't put away your your antennas so that you're not picking up on what these people are serving up. When somebody talks to you and they they tell you that they want to give you a pay cut, they, they know that you're making X and they want you to take half of an X. Uh, know that if they mistreat you during the interview. That is a sign of how they are going to treat you after you come on board. And companies that treat people with respect, companies that that communicate in a timely manner, companies that demonstrate trust, these are the kinds of companies that, that people should want to be with on today. So at any rate, there's a little uh, freebie because that was something I didn't think I was going to talk about that today, but I'm thinking and hoping someone needs to hear that. What we want to get into topic-wise, as far as the potpourri is concerned, of the, I guess the second topic, because we didn't plan on that, but hey, it, people need it. Neutrality. I, I had some of you probably already heard, I may as well already, may as well talk about this as well, uh, is that uh, I was the director of education for the UXPA, and I have decided to resign from that position. Uh, There's only a handful of people that have any idea why I chose to do that. I have not shared my reason in public for why I did that. There are people out there claiming that they know why I resigned. They do not. (laughs) There are people that are glad I resigned because, folks, there's a here's a little side topic. Call this one B. I've said this before and I say it again. And I was talking to somebody about it earlier today it is absolutely amazing the volume of hateful people that are in ux and i've said this a number of times and so i say it again today it is actually impossible to be a hateful individual when you consider the fact that we are people it's a people discipline we have to empathize we have to understand what is going on with our users, with our customers, and we need to to strive to present experiences that will meet their needs, match their mental models. And if you're wrapped up in you, or if you're a person who really just lacks emotional intelligence and does not really have a heart for other folks, you are going to be limited with what you can accomplish in the world of UX. It takes somebody with a heart, folks. And only people with the heart thrive. A lot of people will talk about what they're doing when they're thriving, but a lot of it is just a front. I even see people celebrating things, and some of the things that I see them celebrating are actually telling you 
that they're limited in what they're going to be able to do just because of the attitudes that they demonstrate. People celebrating, but they'll celebrate and there's zero diversity on their teams. How are you going to put together a an optimal experience when you have zero diversity associated with your team? That there's there's no way in the world you're going to be able to do that because in order to have a non-diverse team, you have to set out to do that. And in order to set out to do that, that means that you have to throw up roadblocks. That means that you have to be consciously selective to make sure that you are keeping certain people out. And these are some of the problems that are going on today when it comes to UX. It just can't be done. I, I just laugh when I see things like that because they are just celebrating and they are having a ball and it's a joke. And I recognize it's a joke. But at any rate, let me get back to because I'm not going to touch on this if I don't if I don't stop myself now. So if I, even if I didn't finish part of that other statement, I just don't even care about that today. <laughs> it's uh, we got to be diverse. We got to be diverse, folks. So at any rate, neutrality. Uh, I resigned from the UXPA, and some of the things that that have come out, I, I will touch on a couple of things. Uh, I, I, when I say a, touching on a couple of things, I mean real things, not the made up things that I have seen out there. People just making things up because they just want to make things up because they're just uh, <laughs> flat out ridiculous like that. So, but the topic of neutrality came up that when there was somebody that launched a smear campaign, they claimed that I attacked them. This is out in social media. So, so I can share that because it's out there. You're going to see it. The person claimed that I attacked them when actually the person attacked me. Uh, they they issued a passive aggressive statement, which was kind of we we in our in our neck of the woods we refer to it as kind of a a backhanded type of a statement where they were insulting me, and they had no grounds for it. And this was another one of those people that uh, we another problem. And I'm being diverted again. We have a huge problem in UX today with a lot of people who are, as I said earlier, they're speaking up with regard to UX, but they don't really care about UX. They don't really have the knowledge. They're presenting themselves as experts, presenting themselves as mentors when they have absolutely no point of reference or experience whatsoever. There are people that are teaching courses about UX and and, and it's happening. There's a lot of people doing it, folks. And they're teaching, and but they have no points of reference with which to teach. You're not eligible to teach because you've read a few articles. You're not eligible to teach because you read a few books. If you have not had your feet on the ground, on the battleground of UX, you should not be teaching UX, period. <laughs> Just period. Folks should not be doing that. It it. It is detrimental to the discipline. And in one instance that someone told me about on social media this week, a person is teaching UX, but they don't even, they're cynical towards UX. How can you teach UX if you're cynical about UX? The person doesn't believe that there's a real definition for UX. How can you teach if you don't believe there's a definition? How can you, if you base your your thoughts, your your perception of UX on misinformation, which is rampant, 
and you are not really partaking of the sound and trustworthy parts or activities that are going on out there in UX, it, that person's perception is all made up of all the gobbledygook. And then that person's going to teach. The students are in trouble. There's another person who teaches that I also heard about. Somebody presented this one to me this past week as well. We're still covering the social media stuff, so that's okay. Uh, someone told me that the person in all the classes that they're teaching, they're also teaching people to fake it till you make it. How can you claim to help people who want to get better in UX and part of your part of your guidance, part of your instruction that you give includes telling people to fake it until they make it? That's fraudulent. Folks, that's just downright fraudulent. So at any rate, just a lot going on. <laughs> social media and it's it's just really sad because so many great things can happen and a lot of great things do happen in social media but social media is extremely dangerous and if somebody is not ready which a lot of people are not if somebody is not ready if they don't have a filter if they don't have trustworthy mentors that they can lean on to help guide them especially during the early phases of someone's career, someone's journey in UX, they're going to run into this stuff and they're not going to know that they need to turn away from it. I mean, as soon as somebody says, fake it till you make it, you should know. Even if you don't have a mentor, you should know, but people still opt in. I heard someone else on social media said that they don't like what's going on in UX because they said that we're a bunch of territorial folks that are, uh, I can't remember exactly how they said it, so I'm paraphrasing. I do remember that they said we were territorial, and basically they said that we were a bunch of folks that were just bitter, basically what the person was getting at. Who, who in the world has that person been talking to? And that's something else that needs to stop. If you want to be healthy in UX, you cannot let non-UXers give you their blind advice. <laughs> blind advice about UX simply doesn't work. You wouldn't you wouldn't take blind advice from a doctor. You wouldn't take blind advice from an auto mechanic. You wouldn't take blind advice from your next door neighbor. You wouldn't take fashion advice from a person that was blind. You wouldn't go in front of a blind person and ask them how you look. So why do we do that when it comes to UX? It just, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And this whole thing is I called out LinkedIn for teaching allowing people that don't have any UX um, expertise, knowledge, or, uh, I mean, I love what's going on in a lot of universities where when you, a lot of universities make sure that the people that are teaching actually have experience as practitioners. I love how at Syracuse, they call these professors of experience. You cannot teach these courses if you do not have firsthand experience with the subject matter. That is just ethical. That's what should be done. So I called out LinkedIn and some people got beside themselves. And one of the one of the topics that came up in the midst of, of the dialogue that resulted from this was that someone said, well, you know, when these things comes up, we just have to be neutral. So I'm going to read something that I posted to social media this week. And it was just a thought. It was in response. No, it was not a passive aggressive response. 
It was just a thought that came to mind. I'm not talking to them. It's just something that we need to know and understand if you want to be whole and well when it comes to to social media, when it comes to learning as a UXer. If you want to thrive as a UXer or anything else really for that matter, neutrality is dangerous. There is a time to be neutral, like when you're first taking certain information in. However, and, and let me just read this. I said, in some cases, taking a neutral stance is the equitable, it's the fair thing to do. But when the motives and deeds of someone who is obviously a perpetrator are afoot, when someone is doing something and it's obvious that something is awry, neutrality is then it becomes an act of enablement and empowerment because now the person who's engaging in that matter, this is not something where you can just be neutral and you're trying to, we're not in court and you're looking at things on both sides. It's This is a an everyday occurrence. This is an engagement. This is an interaction and it is blatantly obvious that somebody is doing something wrong. You have just enabled when you, any of us, take a stance of so-called being neutral, you're empowering the oppressor and you're subjecting the person who's being attacked to maltreatment, to harassment. And and, and this was in general, this some of the dynamics that happened and, and I felt that it was the right thing to do for me to step away, especially from a volunteer position. So, and I still haven't told you why I, why I resigned, but it sort of hinted at part of it in saying that. Uh, The end of this uh, social media post, I said, perps know this, and they're always on standby to take advantage of an unsuspecting person's neutrality. To stop this, we must always hold people accountable and take a stand for what's right. And this, ironically, is something that, in my opinion, is at the core of why UX is imploding as a discipline, why we've been on a downward slope since about 2012, why, and especially since about 2015, 2016, we've, we've had the onslaught of design thinking. We've dealt with people lying to get UX jobs and fabricating things on their resumes. I have seen the the stack of two 250 resumes as a former hiring manager and how that five-sixths of the resumes in that stack were full of people who would throw UX in as a keyword trying to get an interview so that they could falsify their way into a UX role. We have been suffering at the hands of unqualified people leading UX departments and teams everywhere being retrofitted into positions. And I even had a situation not too long ago where I was interviewing for a UX manager's role and they said, I really love Darren. Darren is great. He could probably do this job in his sleep, but I'm going to pass on him because I think he's going to be bored and he'll probably leave. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? We talked about this. <laughs> and I assured them that 
I thought that that was just a phenomenal opportunity and that it is exactly what I have been looking for for years because I felt I had been selling myself short, settling for senior roles when I knew I should have been doing something greater and something bigger, somewhere where I could, something I could have more impact. I walked away from the manager's role that I had and talk about that another time, but I thought that this was perfect. And now somebody with a fraction of my experience is going to get an opportunity that I can't hardly get anymore. So it's really weird how these things work. And here's the thing as we begin to wrap up today that folks need to understand about hiring, and we'll get into this in more detail in that upcoming series about the issues with UX hiring today and the job search process. It really turned out that that particular job, they didn't want to pay an actual manager's salary. They wanted to hire a manager at a senior salary. That's really what they wanted to do. So they really weren't being honest with me. Here's what folks that are hiring need to know. When you are not willing to pay someone and you think that you're saving money, you're going to hire somebody who's less skilled, someone with less acumen, someone who who lacks the ability to think with their head on a swivel, to be alert. They won't be able to, to manage people the way that you need. They won't be able to make decisions that need to be made. They won't have the strategic prowess to guide the department the way they need to. So you might think that you're saving, any companies might think that they're saving 10, 15, or $20,000, but actually the person that they hire is going to end up costing them. So you're gonna end up, that money is going to go away anyway. So you would have been better paying the higher salaried person and then keeping the needle moving forward instead of going going out looking for a blue light special employee, so to speak. There's a Kmart reference, so some people probably don't even know what that is, but the blue light was you go into Kmart and wherever you saw a blue light, you knew that there was some big sale, so people would run from all over the store to rush to where the blue light was so they could buy this item that was on sale. But was it really worth it? And I'm telling you that it's not. Yes, mid-level people should be hired. Yes, teams should have entry-level people. They shouldn't be be blocked though, the way that, and, and some of them though, they, they feel like they should be hired when they don't bring anything to the table. That's not realistic either. But if you don't hire the right people for the right jobs, especially because you're trying to save money, you're gonna lose money. Remember, for every dollar you invest, you get 100 to $250 in return so when you scale back, you're actually taking money out of the company's pocket. So keep that in mind. Folks, but that's all the time we have for today. We're going to wrap up. I've got a fantastic interview that I'm going to share with you next week. Uh, I talked to Chantel Botha. She's uh, one of the world's best CX professionals. We had an absolute ball. It's going to be a special edition, roughly 45 minutes long, but you are going to love it. We had a ball. I can't wait to, to share that with you. But that's all the, the time we have today. We'll go back and forth. We'll, we'll share some of this UX potpourri from time to time, just in between different series to give you a little bit of a segue and a break from some of the the more structured topics that we're talking about. Uh, but I hope you, you got a lot out of this. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, tell your friends about the podcast. Share the word. Let's get it out there because people who really have something to say, people who've been around, we need to be heard more. Not just me. But all of us need to be heard more 
uh, and, and instead of all this exaltation of the people who are doing what some folks like to call, love the phrase, UX theater. It's time for UX theater to end. And I hope you're with me. At any rate, that's all again, all the time we have for today. So this is your host of the world of UX, Darren Hood, signing off. Happy UXing, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.